I'd like to address you tonight on a topic that is one of the keys to success in life, and that is teachability. Um, what I'd like to say to you is pretty simple. It's basically this, radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. Did you get that? Can you say it with me? Radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. Let's try it again. You're doing better. Radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. Great. Stand with me and let's pray. I'm starting. I'm not finishing. Don't leave. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to speak to us right now. We really need to hear from you. You are the creator of all mankind, and you're the one who's loved us enough to send your son to die for us and make us your own. So, Lord, instruct us. We want to hear from you personally, Father. We need to be encouraged and strengthened and taught by the Holy Spirit. So as we're into the Word, we ask you to speak to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to use those words as uh, a little guide for us in what we're going to be doing tonight. There's a verse in Proverbs 19, it's Proverbs 19.20, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Proverbs 19.20. We're going to be talking about radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. Um, first, the radio. It's important. It's important that you grasp this. The teachable person is the one who is receptive to instruction. The teachable individual is receptive to instruction. Being teachable is a key to success. We'll come to more of that in a minute. But a key element in teachability is receptivity to instruction. You need to be ready to receive instruction. Receptivity to instruction is really, in a lot of ways, Contrary to our society's values. Now, you know, you're in classes, right? You know, and you got trapped into this place with that piece of paper, so you're taking notes. You came here tonight to hear some things, and I'm up in process of instructing you. When in classroom situations, we tend to accept instruction, but whenever we get out into life, it really gets sort of hard to accept instruction. It's one thing to accept somebody saying the world is 25,000 miles around. That's not going to affect what you do tomorrow. Right? Uh, it's another thing to learn in some of the areas that are close to us uh, or to just learn in everyday life. We learn in class, but in life, instruction is a little harder. Someone has said that there are two really great fears among people, uh, in Western society particularly. One of them is the fear that we're going to be judged. So we enter new groups rather cautiously. We're not sure how they're going to accept us. We try to dress appropriately. Whatever group you want to be accepted in, you dress like them. We don't want to be judged and found wanting. Number one is the fear of being judged. Second is the fear of being taught. And it took me a while to grasp that, but I think this is why. You see, whenever you're taught, the assumption is that you're ignorant. <laughs> you have been judged ignorant and found in need. So someone teaches you. That's not a very pleasant thing. There's some reasons that we're not open to learn. We need to be receptive to instruction, but there are some reasons that tend to make us non-receptive. 
One of them is that we tend to be men-pleasers rather than learners. We tend to want to look good rather than actually learn some things. Suppose you're, you're sitting in the student center and you're having this deep philosophical discussion. It's on Friday afternoon, the time of the week to be philosophical, and uh, you're munching on your hamburger and your french fries, and you're talking with a friend and you're discussing the world as it is, and you turn to the current economics in the nation and your friend says, you know, Reagan's economic policies... Remind me a lot of the economic policies of the, of the Maharaja of Bananarama in the late 1800s. Now, you have never heard of Bananarama, much less the Maharaja. What do you say? Now, you, instead of saying, I've never heard of the Maharaja of Bananarama, where is economic policy? Man, tell me about this. What you say is, well, you know how those Maharajas are. <laughs> and we want to look cool. We... Uh, we want to appear informed rather than actually be a learner. A lot of times that cripples us, keeps us from learning brand new things because topics come up and we never admit our ignorance and ask to be taught. We are men-pleasers rather than learners. Another reason, according to the scripture, that people do not learn is that they're lazy. I, uh, in most of my life, I've con connected unteachability primarily with pride or rebellion or something like that. And I ran into a verse in Proverbs while I was doing some study in Proverbs. Ran into a verse that just blew me away. At this time, we were engaged in a ministry um, that had a lot of individuals in it uh, who were very, very lazy. And uh, we were dealing with uh, street people. Some of the people on the streets are there because of very unfortunate circumstances and are trying to deal with their situation. Other people on the streets are there because of uh, some deficiencies, some personal deficiencies. And they've not had a, they need some help in order to get into a better situation. But some of the people on the streets are there because they're lazy. And um, as the ministry was going on with these people, uh, I ran across this verse, and all of a sudden something clicked. It was really curious that many of the fellows who stayed as far away from a job as they could get, you know, you'd try to help them find work and get them all set up and ready to go, and they were sick. Maybe stick at the thought of it, I don't know. But many of the fellows who really would not work thought they were the shrewdest thing to hit town. Not, that was sort of appalling. I'd listen to them talk with one another about how, uh, how they could game and take advantage of people, uh, how people said this, but they really thought so-and-so. And, -so. and um, this verse clicked for me. It says... A lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven wise men. And boy, <laughs> I suddenly realized, you know, that really does fit. Because if you are lazy, what's true of your life? You don't want to do anything, right? If you learn something, what's true of your life? You might have to do something, right? So one of the ways you protect your sloth is just by being unteachable or being... Uh, being wise in your own eyes. But the root of the unteachability, the, the wise in my own eyes, well, they said to do this, but I really know that so-and-so is true. The root of the unteachability is not particularly pride, but it's sloth, laziness. Have you ever seen a picture of a sloth? You know, wild, wild world or wild, wild kingdom or something like that. You see the sloth on there, and he's hanging upside down in this tree. And he loves to eat tree leaves, see? And he moves, and you watch him race out the end of the tree limb. He goes, 
That's really a little too fast. That's probably a world record sloth right there. <laughs> Just slow, slow. That's why they call them sloths. Um, they are really slow. Many times we really don't want to do anything else, and so we protect ourselves by being wise in our own eyes. Now, the um, laziness is a major cause of unteachability. You know, another cause, according to Scripture, is we get busy with trash and trivia. We get too busy with trash and trivia to focus on the truth. That's Proverbs 15, 14. It really talks about the wise man and the mocker, but it says it like this in the New International. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. The living puts a lot of punch to it and says, A wise man is hungry for truth, while the mocker feeds on trash. So one of, one of the reasons why we, we tend to lose our learning ability or we don't learn is because we're too busy with trash and trivia. You know, sports, is, sports is something really fine. If you like racquetball or you like tennis, uh, you're involved in some other sport, that is, that's really fine. That's great. But you know, if sports comes to the point that it keeps you from getting to know God better and keeps you from learning the Word that, that gives you the guidelines for how to live life successfully, then sports is in the way, and it has ceased to be something interesting and is now trivia. You know, video games are okay. I don't know if you're still uh, still on the video games or not, but they're really okay. Some people get into video games to the extent they can't do anything else. Uh, we've, we've dealt with people who are 15 to 20 hours a week on the video games, and they didn't know it until they sat down and added it all up. And they wondered why they were having so much trouble advancing in their Christian life. The reason was they were so busy pushing the buttons, they didn't have time to learn anything about God. You need to be receptive to instruction and cut out things that get in the way of instruction. Now, TV's the same way. TV's okay. Some TV's okay. Uh, but if TV becomes a major block to your time to learn, then you need to do away with it. Dating can be in the same class. Radio. What about radio? What is, what is this about radio? Teachable person's receptive to instruction. Have you ever watched Dukes of Hazard? <laughs> My daughter loves Dukes of Hazard, and her father does too. One of the one of the frequent calls in there is uh, is Bo and Luke Duke get into bad trouble, and they need help. So they start calling for Uncle Jesse, and his code name is Shepherd. And so they're hollering, Shepherd, do you have your ears on over their CBs? Do you have your ears on? Are you listening? Is the radio on? Are you receiving? Radio. You need to put your ears on. You need to get your ears on. You need to gear up to begin to learn. You need to be receptive to instruction. Someone gets up to teach. Many of us at that point know that this is the time to turn the brain off and sit there and relax a while. But it's not. Someone stands up to teach. You need to gear up to learn. Someone turns on a tape. Your roommate turns on a tape on uh, how to be more godly or something like that. And you know that this is instruction, proper response to instructions, turn off your brain so you lie down on the bed. You know, you can learn easier lying prone. <laughs> Whenever there's opportunity for instruction, you need to gear up for it. You need your radio on. You need to have your ears on. You willing to admit your ignorance? Teachable persons are receptive to instruction. You willing to take the risk for action? Teachable person is receptive to instruction. You willing to take the time for truth? The teachable person is receptive to instruction. Second quality of a teachable person has to do with the race car. 
teachable person is responsive to correction. If you're working on teachability, then you're working on being responsive to correction. In Proverbs, there's a word, musar, M-U-S-A-R, be the way you'd write it in English. And it's a word that a lot of times, some, some of the translations of the Bible translate it as discipline. Other translations will translate it as instruction. And some translations sort of yo-yo back and forth between the two. But musar is the word. And the word really has this idea to it, this instruction, discipline, that it talks about a fool ignores this stuff and all these other things. It ignores instruction and ignores discipline. Musar has the idea of corrective instruction. A teachable person is responsible, is responsive to corrective instruction, not just instruction in general. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16 said that Scripture is profitable for teaching and for what? Reproof or correction. Aha! Moves on from teaching to reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Hebrews 3.13 talks about how in order to keep from going into the ditch spiritually, you need people to admonish you and correct you. Uh, one of the things we need to be teachable to is correction. Instruction in general, like uh, uh, teaching on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also teachability to corrective instruction. Someone coming to, to us and speaking to us. The Christian life, rather than being like going to college, is more like learning to play the piano. You can go to college and you sit in a classroom and they give you a lot of notes and you memorize all the notes. And then, you know, if you're taking essay test questions, you figure out what questions they're going to ask you and then you write answers to it and you memorize those. Then you go in, you take the test and you come back and you chuck your notes. Right? You had the course. It's not the same way in playing the piano, is it? The teacher tells you what to do and you go in and you memorize what to do and you come back to the next session. You sit down and tell the teacher what you're supposed to do. And the teacher says, do it. <laughs> what do you mean, do it? I mean, I, I learned it. Do it. And so you sit down and you begin moving the fingers under corrective instruction, learning how to implement. And um, the teacher says, that's wrong. Hold your fingers this way. Sit up straight. So you sit up straight. And you cannot play the piano lying on the floor. Get on the bench. And so you get on the bench. Many, many times in life, uh, you're going to need corrective instruction. The teachable person is responsible, responsive to it. The Lord's big complaint against the Pharisees was that they were stiff-necked. He says in Matthew 23 that they're a stiff-necked bunch. Now, that doesn't mean they slept wrong on the pillow last night, so they got up this morning and you know, they're walking around with a funny, sort of funny look, waiting on somebody to crack their back. It's not a sore neck. It's a refusal to turn. In Los Angeles, I once rode a horse. I'm not a, not a real horseman. Um, several horses realize that. <laughs> There's one horse that had found the key to my, my, my lack of knowledge. It was in Azusa Canyon on the out, outer borders of Los Angeles on the northeastern side. Some beautiful mountains, beautiful canyons, a lot of stables. My wife and I went out and rented some horses and we're riding along, and these horses were really bad to look at. They looked like that somebody had scrubbed them all the wrong ways. And you know, the hair sort of turned different ways. Uh, but they were horses, so we got on them. And this one horse read my whole education when I hit the saddle, almost. 
We came, uh, we had gone out in the barn, trotted on a little ways, and we came to a fork in the trail, one fork going away from the barn and the other fork going back to the barn. And so the horse just starts back to the barn. Deborah's horse was doing better, but mine was going back to the barn. So I pulled him around, reined him around, and he was going back to the barn anyway. <laughs> he stiffened that old neck, and he kept walking down. I pulled him back around, and when I did, he started to buck. Started rearing like that, getting those shoulders set. I pulled that rim back. And uh, I had learned it was not cruelty to a horse like that. So I took my open palm and smacked him as hard as I could right under the ears. He went like that. <laughs> Trotted right on down the path. <laughs> we came to another fork in the trail, and it was the same thing all over again. This thing start back to the barn. I pulled him around. He'd get ready to buck. Stiffen that neck. I'd smack him behind the ears. And he'd shake that head. We'd go on, go on away from the barn again. It's that way at every fork in the trail. He's stiff neck. And I had to smack him behind the ears to unstiffen that neck. He stiff-necked. You see, he wouldn't respond to the rain. <laughs> to trampling around. He set those muscles, boy, he's going his own way. That's the Lord's complaint against the Pharisees. God has spoken, and he has spoken, and he has spoken, and they have refused to accept the correction. They've stiffened their neck, and they're going on their own way no matter how hard God pulls. So... If you're willing to listen to teaching, are you responsive to correction? The Lord corrects you through the Word or through others. You know, one of your big problems in your life is you're ignorant. You really are ignorant. We come in ignorant. I don't know anybody's born with a Ph.D. in anything. We come in ignorant. And uh, I've got two little girls. One of them's almost six months, and the other one's almost six years. And both of them take a lot of training. They take a lot of correction. You correct them gently. You love them. You, you want to encourage them. But whenever they start getting a spoon up here and the fork goes, <laughs> the fork or spoon goes up toward the face right there. You know? Well, kid, you know, let's try that again. To put it over here and then shove it in. I get goop all over their chin and things like that. They don't have to do that kind of thing. They have to be taught. That's the way you are, particularly in the Christian life. You have to be taught. You're ignorant. You do a lot of things wrong. You do some things right. But whenever you come to the, come into the faith, you're, you're really ignorant. You're just a little kid. And it will really help you if you will accept correction. Just learn how to do it a different way. We need correction. The, um, you know, you come into the faith and you just, I've heard people say things like, you know, I met, a, I met a gal in a bar last night, this new Christian. I met a gal in a bar last night and I... I think I'm really in love with her. And I believe, I've been praying this morning, I believe God wants me to marry her. <laughs> you know, if the guy's not open to correction, he's headed for some trouble. An angel appeared to me last night and told me that I was going to be the second Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> a person once told me, you know, I have really felt like for years that God's going to use, use me to write a new part to the Bible. A person very sincere. I helped him understand that God wasn't going to do that. You need to be open to correction. Same with your dating life. Uh, you know, somebody comes to you and says, it's really, really good that you're dating, but we think it'd be good if you cut back to one or two nights a week instead of seven nights a week so you can do a few other things. What do you mean? Who are you? That's what we say. You know, Who are you? Well, if we come into the faith ignorant, we face a real big temptation, and the temptation 
is to seek out teachers. If you don't, if you got a stiff neck, you tend to seek out teachers that scratch your itching ears. Paul talks about that in First Timothy. He says people that don't want to hear the truth, go and find people to scratch their ears. I've got a little dog named Perfy, P-E-R-F-I, in case you're interested. Um, the, um, there's a little schnauzer, and uh, it loves to have its ears scratched. What well, dog will come? You, you mean lying on the floor resting? You feel this dog's nose running up under your hand. <laughs> Getting up on the ears. It wants them scratched. Just loves it. You start scratching. Just sit there. I'll scratch this one real good. <laughs> that's really what we're like whenever we're in rebellion and we're looking for somebody to tell us what we want to know. You know, they, they can tell you that the moral lifestyle is okay. They can tell you that Christianity doesn't really forbid this. They can tell you. You can find people to tell you anything. Whenever you're in rebellion, you know, you say, oh, say it again. Say it right there. Get it right there. Right there. <laughs> it's like a little puppy dog. If the truth hurts, you need to accept it and just deal with it. God's out for your success. God wants you to succeed in life, but you're going to succeed based on truth. Spiritual leader comes to you and uh, offers you correction. Say on the, on the way you're leading a Bible study or whatever you're doing. Um, might be a, a person on staff, might be somebody in the ministry here, a friend maybe. Uh, you need to receive that. It's like a race car. You know, race, a race car has a very fine-tuned steering system so that it responds immediately to correction. Why? Because the guy is going in excess of 200 miles an hour and this thing better respond fast or he's going to bust into flames and he's gone. You're to be like that race car. Instant response to steering rather than being stiff-necked. What you're dealing with as you deal with your lives is something far more crucial than a prize in a race. You need to be instantly responsive. Severe penalty in Scripture for the stiff-necked. Proverbs 29.1 He who is oft reproved yet stiffens his neck will be suddenly broken beyond healing. And uh, I have seen, I've lived long enough to see that in life myself. A man who can no longer walk, man who can no longer use his arms because he refused the reproof that God sent his way, persisted in what he's doing. So, race car, radar. Teachable person's looking for application. You know, you get on the radar scope, you're looking for incoming planes, checking out what's in the area. Radar exists to help you know what's going on and help you to see what's coming, uh, particularly if it's defense radar. God brings truth to us to help us out. This truth is coming to you tonight. What, what we're doing together tonight is coming to you personally to help you out. Now, God didn't bring a lot of different people here. God brought you. You might think, well, I brought me. Well, he's got a purpose in it for you. Now, so-and-so dragged me, you know. That's <laughs> why so my skid marks outside the door out there. Well, God got you here that way for a purpose. This truth is coming to you for a purpose. And God's going to be bringing to you opportunity to apply the truth. The Lord couldn't think of anything, you know, he, he, he didn't just run out of something for you to do, and so he decided to send you here and bore you for a while so that you could go on back to your dorm having had a breather. God brought you here to give you instruction for a purpose. And in a few days, maybe in just a few hours, a situation's going to arrive in which you're going to need to apply this. You need to have your radar set and be scanning the horizon. A teachable person looks for ways, opportunities to apply, looks for opportunities to apply what they've been learning. Our temptation is to hear something like tonight and go on your way and forget it. And so, um, you know, you like to hear instruction, makes you feel good, 
Maybe you can even stand correction, uh, but, but actually applying something. You just sort of go off and forget it. James 1, 22 through 25 speaks about that. I'd just like to read it for you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. There you get up and you see the stars that came out last night. Have you seen that commercial? Uh, look at the new pimples that have arisen. See it in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. It's easy to hear instruction and then just sort of go your merry way. But whenever you hear it, you need to set your eyes to look for the opportunities that are coming. Now, you may already be aware of places where you need to apply teachability. You might have been resisting correction from someone. But it's important that you set your mind to apply what you hear. Uh, you know, that usually means taking notes on stuff. I do quite a bit of counseling with people. Some people are interested in things like church planting, which I'm related to, uh, or developing a different kind of church life, which we have. Uh, or it might be counseling on a personal matter, and they come to me and they say, I need to talk to you about so-and-so. I say, okay, well, great, let's set a time. We get together, and maybe we sit down right there and begin to talk. And they ask me all these questions, and we dialogue and look at the Word, and the person never writes a thing down. I already know that individual is not going to apply anything. The reason is, in ten minutes, they're going to get away from me. And they'll be walking along, and somebody will say, you had a chance to talk to Harold. Yes, I talked with him. Well, what, what did he say? Oh, we had a really good time. Well, what did he say? Man, it was really great. We, we talked over this. We talked over that. Well, what did he say? I don't know. Someone said that when it comes to memory, the dullest pencil is sharper than the sharpest mind. So you need to set, your, set yourself to apply the, apply what you see in Scripture, what you hear in teaching. You're like a boxer, you see. boxer doesn't study boxing so he can discuss it. And the reason is there's going to come a time when someone gives him a pair of gloves, points him into a ring, and you'll be looking for opportunity to apply. Get your radar going. The Lord will give you opportunity to use what you learn. Radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. A fellow once came to me and said, you know, Harold, this is several years ago, Harold, I, uh, I talked with, um, he named a, a seminary professor. I, I talked with Roy Fish, very well-known man, and asked him to disciple me, and um, he's all busy. He's got all the guys he can handle. And I talked to another man who's a very famous conference speaker and asked him to disciple me, and he's not taking on any more guys right now. And then I talked to and named another seminary professor of lesser status and asked him to disciple me. And he's not discipling anyone at this time. And then I talked to, and then he named another famous conference speaker, and asked him to disciple me. And uh, he's not taking on any more. So, Harold, here I am. <laughs> you know, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> and I said, have you heard of Seth Gatchell? No, who's he? He's the guy that I was working with and helping. I said, I think you could learn a whole lot from him. And his face fell, you know. He said, how can I get in touch with him? And he plugged in and began to learn from Seth. And God really did some things in his life. I want to know if the man was teachable. You know, there are a lot of people that are teachable to Billy Graham. 
Uh, many of you may know Billy Hanks. There are people that are teachable to Billy Hanks. Would you be teachable to Billy Graham? If you want to get some time with you next week and share a few things with you. <laughs> sure, Billy, I can clear my whole week. I don't have to go to class or anything, man. I'll be right there. You might be teachable to Max. You know, Max leads a very important ministry God's using throughout the earth. Uh, maybe you'd have a little more trouble learning from some of the staff. When it comes down to the student who leads your Bible study, what does he know? But you know, God not only wants to, wants to use these people to teach you, God wants to use your parents, perish the thought. God wants to use your parents, whether they know the Lord or they don't. God wants to use them to teach you. The Lord wants to use your roommates, yes, yes, even your roommate, to instruct you. Later on, if you marry, the Lord wants to use your wife to teach you, wants to use your kids. We were driving up the road one day, and uh, Jessica was in the cars before Natalie was born. And I was being a little short with Deborah. Uh, she was asking me questions, and I was sort of peeved at her. And husbands have a de- well-developed ability to give short answers. So I was being short as we were driving. Not unkind, just short. We parked at a supermarket, and Deborah went in to get some groceries. And Jessica leaned up across the back seat of the car and said, Daddy. I said, What, honey? She said, You were harsh with Mama, and you need to ask her forgiveness. I said, Well, let me think about it for a minute. And I thought about it, and the Lord said, she is exactly right. I said, sweetheart, you're right. I'll ask Mommy's forgiveness when she comes out. And so I did. See, the Lord wanted to use her to instruct me right now. Even more than that, the Lord's going to use your enemies. There are two kinds of people that will tell you the real truth about yourself. Those that really, really love you and those that hate your guts. The first, because they care so much, and the second, because they hope to destroy you with the truth about you. But you know, if it's truth, you can profit from it. Who are you open to learn for or learn from? Carolyn Teague, the most of you know, uh, was in our ministry for a while. And one particular gal in the ministry was complaining because the leader that she was working under, uh, not, not Carolyn, but a person lower down the ministry, didn't have as much knowledge as some of these people of higher status, and she was really bucking to work under Carolyn. I talked with Carolyn about it, and Carolyn said, You know, Harold, a really hungry person doesn't demand silver. They'll eat with a plastic fork. To whom are you teachable? You know, if you're really teachable, the person who's instructing doesn't have to be famous, just right. That's plenty adequate. You're waiting for the big day when God's going to drop somebody really famous down to instruct you. When the Lord will spread the table with finest silver plate. Well, if you won't eat with the plastic, he's not going to set out silver. So, plastic forks. Radio, race car, radar, and plastic forks. There's really another R there. That's reward. One other thing about the teachable person is they are successful. You might even say eminently successful. Success comes from a whole lot of learning and a whole lot of correction. I saw a video recently. Uh, on is on um, the book that has been done recently. 
uh, about excellent companies and search of excellence. The video covered several of these companies. They took the cameras and went to given companies and looked at how they were handling their, their business and then did a report on that. The video was really high quality. One of the companies they looked at, some were giants like IBM, some were very small. One of the companies they looked at was Stu Leonard's Dairy in Connecticut. Stu Leonard's dad began the dairy in 1923, and then he added sort of a little store alongside the dairy to sell the milk and sell a few other things. Well, time went on. Stu took over the work. And Stu tells in there, he's a man in his mid-50s, he tells how they decided that what they were going to do was go around on the customer's side of the counter and look at their business and then correct it to match that. So he said we made some corrections, and pretty soon business grew to the point that we had to add a, an addition, then another addition, and then another addition. Now we've added 24 additions. The average supermarket, as this report said, had 16,500 items on the shelves and, and grossed around 80,000 a week. Stu Leonard's Dairy has 750 items on the shelves and grosses 1.7 million per week. So they, they were asking him, how did you come to do this? <laughs> and he said, uh, they began to give several examples. He said, well, uh, let's take, for instance, the fish. He picked up a big blue fish and held it up. It was in a wrapper, had plastic over it, you know. He said, we had a meeting, and uh, we asked some of the customers, tell us. We had a feedback group. Tell us what you don't like about the, the dairy. And this lady said, you want to know what I don't like? I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like your fish. He said, what do you mean? And uh, she said, it's not fresh. And the fish guy sort of stands up and says, what do you mean it's not fresh? We get it every morning from the dock. She said, it's in a supermarket wrapper. It can't be fresh. He said, well, how would you like to buy fish? She said, I want to buy fish off of ice. I want an ice bar with a fish in it. And that's the way I want to buy fish. He said, so they, they just put in an ice bar and put fish out on it. And he showed the ice bar with the blue fish on it and one in the package. He said, they came from the same place at the same time. They cost exactly the same amount. But out here is the ice bar and over here is the supermarket case. He said, we, we were selling 15,000 pounds of fish in the wrappers each week. So that never dropped. What we started doing was selling another 15,000 pounds a week off the ice bar. So now they sell 30,000 pounds of fish a week. So a lady came in and told him, I don't like what you're doing with your strawberries. He said, what's that? She said, they're in all these little baskets, and you've got to buy a, a basket of the stuff before you can get what you want. And then you get it, and you don't really have what you want. What I'd like you to do is just spread them all out on a on one of the supermarket racks back there and let me pick out what I want. They showed a lady down there picking out strawberries at that time. She had a bag about this tall. All these strawberries spread out. She's picking what she want, wanted. And Stu Leonard said, you see that lady down there with that bag? The guy says, yes. He said, whenever she gets up to the cash register, she's going to find she's bought a $9 bag of strawberries. He said, if we had them in baskets, she just bought two little, two little bitty baskets, and that would have been it. Because they were teachable, open to correction, seeking feedback, seeking input, where the average supermarket does 80000 a week, they do $1.7 million. Teachability, success, comes from much learning, much correction, much teachability. Proverbs thirteen eighteen says, He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. Whoever heeds correction is honored. The Living Bible says, If you refuse criticism, you'll end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept criticism... You're on the road to fame. Twenty-four editions later, Stu Leonard is on In Search of Excellence. How many market operators weren't? 
Even Jesus was taught by the Father. Do you know that? Even Jesus Christ, Isaiah 50 talks about him coming, says, says of him, the sovereign Lord's given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. An instructed tongue. He awakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen as one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my eyes. I have not been rebellious. I've not drawn back. That was predicted, Jesus says in John 8:28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know who I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father has taught me. You've been given a lot of opportunities to learn around here. Tremendous opportunities. God's given you a tremendous staff. Uh, The Lord has given you good student leaders. There's a tremendous bookstore, a tape library. But you know, it won't learn itself. You have to learn it. You have to make yourself available. Do you have your ears on? Radio, do you have your ears on? Are you set to learn? You willing to pay attention? Listen? You responsive to correction? Race car. Stakes in life are a lot bigger than the $250,000 grand prize. You need to be fine-tuned to respond to the Lord and to respond to correction through individuals. Will you look for application? Will you pick up the plastic fork God has put in front of you right now? What's it going to be for you down through life? It says, all who, if you refuse criticism, you'll end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept criticism, you're on the road to fame. What will it be? Rocky road or reward? 